Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Thank you all. All right. If you'll make your way back to your seat. That'd be great. Thank you so much. If you need a Bible this morning, maybe forgotten yours, I see see Usher standing there. And they will, um, if you'll wave at them, they'll be happy to pass one to you. And uh, when you have a Bible, or if you already have yours, there's two passages you can look at. One's going to be on the screen, one is not. Uh, One that's not on the screen is Luke 17. The one that is on the screen uh, is Psalm 133. So you, if you look in both those places, kind of put your finger or a mark or something. We'll look at both of those this morning. Luke 17 and Psalm 133. When Olivia and I were talking earlier this week, and she mentioned that I asked her just what she felt like the most significant thing God had done in her personally, and what he was doing in her life, and she talked about relationships and the challenge of that, and, and having to go after relationship, to, to, to work at it in a way that she'd never experienced before. I, um, I began to ask the Lord, I said, Lord, do you want to say anything to us off of that? Do you want us to kind of springboard off of that? into a psalm. And I looked at several different psalms, and there were different things, and I was actually looking at a totally different psalm, and the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Psalm 133. And so I turned over to Psalm 133 and read it again. This is one of the shortest psalms that you'll find in the Bible. If I were to ask you the longest psalm, what is the longest psalm? 119, we know that. What is the shortest psalm? 117, we read it this morning, right? This actually is one of three psalms that would be considered among the shortest. 117 has only two verses. Psalm 133 and two other psalms have three verses. Uh, so they all tie for the, the second shortest psalm. But in Psalm 133, it's called Song of Ascents. You see that. These were song, psalms or songs that were sung that they were are recited by the people as they were making their they're making the trek they're making their way up to Mount Zion up to Jerusalem. This is near the end of the Song of Ascents. This is the next to last one. And it's written by David. David wrote about 75 of the Psalms that we know of. And this is one that he wrote. David understood the reality of this psalm. David experienced a life where he had many enemies, where there was much division, where there was much relational conflict. He comes as a young man, and he's anointed by Samuel over in 1 Samuel 16 or 17. He's anointed to be king, but there's already a king in place when he's anointed. And he's called into Saul's service as a young man. He plays for him so that when this 
evil spirit, this, this and the scripture doesn't describe it other than the spirit that was in Saul that would stir up at times and be all in a turmoil, David would play and it would, it would calm that spirit. David was a, he was a faithful young man. He was a godly young man. He was a servant uh, to his king, Saul, but he had been anointed to be king, but he wasn't looking to usurp him in any way. Didn't change the fact that Saul began to hate David. And this is going to continue for years in David's life where Saul actually tries to kill him and David's running for his life. When David actually does become king after Saul's death, he's still, the, the kingdom is divided in the sense that you've got different tribes aligned in different ways. And so David spends the first seven, seven and a half years of his, of his king, of being king in Hebron. He's not in Jerusalem, he's in Hebron. And again, there's just a lot of conflict. There's a lot of fighting. Later in David's life, he had this desire to build the temple, to build a place of worship for God. And God said, I'm not going to have you do it. I'm going to have your son do it. And one of the reasons that God gave David for not doing it is because of all of the conflict, all the bloodshed, all the battle that David had been involved in. He said, I'm going to have your son, who's going to be Solomon, peace. Solomon's name means shalom in Hebrew, peace. I'm going to have him do this and not you. You're going to prepare for it. You're going to get everything together. So David understands conflict. He understands human conflict, relational conflict. He has known it his whole life. And by the way, it wasn't just David's experience. It is the human experience. Scripture makes this clear. We have one of the earliest stories in the Bible is a brother killing his brother. Cain kills Abel. Why? Because he's jealous of him. Because he's mad, because he has We don't know exactly. I mean, we know he's jealous of him. You have Noah, who saves his family. He follows the word of God, saves his family, but he has a son who is very disrespectful to him, openly exposes Noah's shame. You have, well, Moses. Moses, who's following the Lord and listening to the Lord, and he's got a brother and a sister who come at him and, and really challenge him. And there's conflict between Moses and his brother and sister. It's not just the Old Testament. The Old Testament's full of it. When you get to the New Testament, you've got the same thing. You've got Jesus walking, God in the flesh, walking on earth with 12 guys. One of them betrays him. The other 11, close to his death, are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And you think, well, after the Holy Spirit comes, that changed all that. Oh, did it? Really? In Galatians, Paul says, I reprove Peter to his face because of he was being two-faced. He was being hypocritical. He was, he was doing all this. But there was still some relational conflict that was, was going on there. As a matter of fact, Paul had it with Barnabas as well. So much so that Paul and Barnabas, who had been partners in the gospel, going together on missionary trips, disagreed over who should go with them. So Barnabas leaves and takes John Mark. Paul gets another partner in Silas, and they go their separate ways. And the scripture does not record reconciliation of that. There may have been. We don't know. But scripture doesn't record it. Can I tell you that the most difficult thing that you and I will ever, ever do is to have Christ-like relationships. Hardest thing we'll ever do. Why? Well, because you and I are involved in the mix. That's why. Because we are who we are. 
Because we are been, we've been made a new creation by the, by the power of God and His Spirit that indwells us. But that transforming work has to continue in us. We don't just automatically become nice, sweet people because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Did you? Anybody in here just automatically become a nice, sweet person? Maybe you're sweeter than you used to be. Depending on what that standard is, that may not be, mean a whole lot. I don't know. But the reality is, none of us, you say, I don't like you talking to me this way. I'm sorry. Am I telling you anything that's not true? And if you think it's not true, let me ask the people that live with you, okay? Or know you best. You ask my family. I'm not a nice, sweet person. Not of myself. I'm not. I want to be. I want, to, I want Jesus, His life, His love to flow through me. But sometimes it does not. Now, Psalm 133 is all about this. There's some interesting things in here. Let's read the psalm together, starting verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That is an amazing thing because right there, he puts together two things that don't always happen. There are times in your life and my life when we know something is good and right, but it's not pleasant. It's like medicine. It may be good for you, but it doesn't taste good. It's better now. Most everything's in pill form, and you just swallow it if you can swallow. Um, some people struggle with swallowing pills. But remember the old days when everything seemed to be in liquid form? And it was the goal of medicine was to make it as nasty-tasting as possible so that you would not abuse it in any way. Um, and it's just nasty stuff. And, of course, I had a grandmother who believed that if you couldn't fix it with mercuricomb or castor oil, it couldn't be fixed, all right? You put mercuricomb on the outside and castor oil down, you know, down the gullet, and, and that fixed everything. Or turpentine. I mean, I actually rub your mouth out and you swab your throat with turpentine, and that stuff go down. And you guys remember that? Anybody remember that? Am I the only one? You were wondering what was wrong with me, weren't you? <laughs> All right. Mercuricomb, turpentine, castor oil, and snuff. Oh, you could fix most anything with those things. So. Um, but the challenge is that there are times in our life where we, we do good things. We know there are things that are good and right to do. They aren't necessarily pleasant. And there are often times in our life where we're pursuing things that we think are pleasant or pleasing, and they aren't good and right. But the Lord says there's something very special about what I'm about to talk to you about. This is both good and pleasing. It's both right and pleasurable. It produces both. There are very few things in this life you can say that about. What is it? It is the unity of brothers, the unities of sisters, the unity of my family, of my people. He said, when that happens, by my power at work, it is both good and pleasant. Now, I want you to notice something in this. Because there's really three things I want you to walk away today in a practical sense of how to do this. The first one is in this verse. The only true unity to be found can be found in the body of Christ. You will not find true unity anywhere. It's not possible to have it except in the body of Christ. You can't. I want to say it again. You cannot have true unity apart from the body of Christ. You say, wait a second. What about if you're in the same family, but you're not believers or whatever? You can have a certain level of love and unity in that, but you cannot experience true unity as God intended it apart from the body of Christ. It's not possible. 
And I'll show you why in just a minute. This is why the Scripture talks about in Ephesians 3 when it says that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. And it goes on after that to say that He might receive glory where? In the church. In the church. This whole church thing that God set up, He set it up to demonstrate to a world who cannot experience unity. They cannot experience love and joy unless somebody else is loving them or or making them feel the way they want or helping them in some way. If you're helping me, I'll help you. The world understands that. But to see among a group of people a love, a joy, a unity that cannot be, it can't be counterfeited. It cannot be performed outside of the body of Christ. Now, the strange thing about that, as I say it, and I know what you're thinking. Well, I've been in the body of Christ a long time, Troy, and I've seen a lot of things, but unity is not usually one of them. Now, that's the great tragedy. Because it damages the testimony of who Jesus is. It robs him of his glory when his people do not experience it. One of the great things that I love about what God has done here through the years at LifePoint is the unity of the bills. Now, do we always agree? Absolutely not. Do we always think the same way? No. We don't think the same way or agree on everything. We still have unity. Unity is more than just unanimity. Unity is a much deeper thing that God wants to do. All right? It can only happen among the body of Christ. But if you're part of the body of Christ, you can experience true unity. It is possible. It's possible for you. It's possible for me. Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says, it is like this unity that he's talking about. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. All right. So he's using a picture here, something we could understand. He says, this unity that we're talking about is like this anointing oil that they put on the high priest. And they pour it on his head and it comes down and it runs down his head and runs off his beard onto his collar. And it doesn't stop there. The way it reads here, it's like it, stop, it doesn't magically just stop at his collar. It keeps running down. You know, one of the places that it runs, it runs across his ephod, which has the 12 stones, the 12 tribes, kind of coming, up, coming over and covering all of those 12 tribes, bringing them together, uniting them, because this is the picture. Brethren dwelling together in unity. What is the picture of oil what does oil represent in in scripture more often than not the holy spirit the reason i said a moment ago that only the church can experience true unity because the holy spirit is the one who produces unity he does that that is part of his function god the holy spirit at work in us among us around us in this place he is the only one who can produce unity it's part of what he does That's the picture here, this oil that's running down on Aaron. You say, okay, Troy, I believe you. The Holy Spirit does that. But I have the Holy Spirit in me. I try the best I can. I I, I want to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in obedience and all those things, but I don't always experience unity. Why is that? I want you to notice in this verse, there is this, gravitational force that's going on here it's flowing down it's starting here at the head it's working its way down and it's this ongoing it's a it's a it's something that's in motion it's moving it's flowing it's not a one-time deal how many of you at some time in your life have asked the holy spirit to fill you how many have done that 
okay? That's just about everybody in here. You've asked the Holy. Why do we do that? Ephesians tells us to, right? Ephesians 5 says that don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we know we should be filled with the Spirit. But is it a one-time deal? The indwelling of the Spirit coming to reside in me, that happens at conversion. When, the, when God converts me, the draw of the Holy Spirit, the response that I have to His grace, the indwelling of His Spirit, that's a one-time act. That's something that He does, that He comes and He indwells me. Ephesians tells us that, that Jesus gives us the earnest or the down payment of the Holy Spirit when we believe. All right? So the Holy Spirit comes. God the Holy Spirit dwells inside you and me at conversion. When we are saved, it's a one-time deal. But this filling this working let me say it a different way the control you could take the word fill and change it to control the control of the holy spirit is an ongoing work as a matter of fact in ephesians 5 when it talks about keep on literally in the greek the tense is keep on continuous action being filled with the holy spirit it's also an imperative it's not a suggestion it's an imperative it's a command to you and me keep on doing this this has to be this ongoing work now in a practical sense because we want this to be practical. I want you to be able to walk out of here today and use this. Because I know that none of you in your family have relational problems, but you're going to go to work tomorrow, okay? Or other places. I know there's no conflict in families, right? But it happens other places. Actually, some of the greatest conflicts we ever experience and the deepest hurts we ever know relationally happen right in our family. They do. And that's probably without exception. Every person in this room experienced the deepest hurts and the deepest wounds from your family. That's the reason I tell you, blood is not what unites you. <laughs> not yours, his. His blood is what unites, not yours. Family is great. We love family. We went to see my family uh, while we were on vacation. It, it's great. It's wonderful. There's a connection that you have. There's, there's things you have in common and tradition that you have. But it's not your blood that unites you. It is his blood. Now, how do you, with the Holy Spirit, how do I keep on being filled how do I keep on? That's the reason I like to change the word fill to control. I keep submitting to his control. So instead of thinking of filling like filling up your gas tank, see, some people have often thought of that. I'm going to fill it up like my gas tank. I go to church and I fill it up with the Holy Spirit. I fill my spiritual gas tank up and now I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to go. All right. And I go until that's empty. And then I go back and I fill it up again. But that's not the picture. Change the word fill to control, which is a, a, a it's a good word, a good translation for that. The control of the Holy Spirit, I am constantly submitting to His control. Constantly. So you have a relational, you have a, a disunified event in your life this week. Family, friends, somebody you work with, whatever. In that moment, based on what we're seeing here, what do I do? What do I do? I immediately submit everything to his control. I submit the right to be right to his control. Some of us, that's hard. Can I tell you that the call of Jesus in your life and my life is not primarily to have the right theology? Now, I'm not advocating bad theology. But Jesus' call to you and me wasn't come follow me and have good theology. That wasn't his call. Come follow me and make sure you get all of it right. 
And when you get it all right, then life will work the way it's supposed to. Can I be honest with you? I'm not sure that all my theology is right. I'm not. I think on the big things it is. But I'm not sure that all my theology is correct. That's probably a bad admission for a pastor to make. But I'm just not. But this I am sure of. That God's call on my life is to constantly be submitting to the power of His Spirit so that I can walk in a supernatural unity in relationship with other people. Thus giving glory to Jesus. That I'm convinced of. And on that, I know based on His Word, that's right. It's right. Now can I give you just a little disclaimer here? Scripture says that you and I are to, as much as it lies with us, as much as it's possible on our side, be at peace with all men, all women. There are some times that you can't be at peace with people even though you're willing to do anything and everything in your power to do so. That's the reason Scripture is very clear about it. As much as it lies with you, be at peace with all men, all women. Because there are going to be occasions where you just can't. If we lived in an ideal, sinless world, that would be, look different, but we don't. And there are times where you cannot. But here's the goal that I have. Here's the thing that God puts back on me, Troy, as much as it lies with you. Well, there's enough God wants to work on just my side of the issue that I can be at peace with most people. If I just let the Lord do what He wants to in my life, I can live at peace with most folks. How many of you would think in your life, in your situation, if you let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to in you, if you're submitting to His control, that most of the disharmony that happens in relationships for you, most of that would subside if the Holy Spirit was really in control of the fact whether I'm right or wrong, whether I get my way, whether it looks like I want, whether I get to control the situation. And by the way, we all have different personalities. Some of us control it outright. We're just gonna, we're verbal, and we're strong, and type A, whatever label you want to put on it. But others are, are not that personality, but we still have the same root problems. I've met passive people who are very stubborn. doesn't matter what personality. And we're not talking about personality here. We're talking about a deeper issue that happens with us. And this is a willingness to submit that to the control of the Holy Spirit. I'll submit it. And I do it, how often I do it? As often as necessary. Which for me, 10, 12 times a day usually. All right? Maybe more. How do I know when I need to do it? I start sensing some disharmony, tension, pressure, conflict. All of these are red flags that more often than not indicate, okay, Lord, what do you want me to see here? What do you want me to submit to? There is this flow. And by the way, it has to start, stop at, start at the head. If you're the head of your household, it needs to start with you. Whether you're a dad or a mom, if you're the head of your household, it needs to start with you. It flows down. If I'm in a mess, my whole family's in a mess. I come in in a rotten attitude, it doesn't take long for it to spread. And I can't blame them because I brought it in. Now, on the other hand, there are times when my attitude's great and they're in a mess, okay? I'm not taking responsibility for all that, okay? It does work that way. But dads, if you're the head of the household, moms, if you're the head of the household, it is a gravitational thing. It flows down. It starts with you. 
Now I want you to look at verse 3 with me. One more thing here. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has com- commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's so much in this verse. Notice that here, at this place, he commanded the blessing. What place? Mount Hermon? Well, perhaps. Mount Zion? Perhaps. There's a blessing that, that you could biblically say. But there's something else in this passage. He said, in this place of unity, I have commanded a blessing. Why? How do we know that to be true? Because Jesus said, they're going to know that you're mine because of the way you treat each other. Because of the way you care for one another. They're going to know. That's how they're going to know you're mine. But he says it's like the dew of Hermon. Um, Mount Hermon is actually not in Israel. Mount Hermon lies between the border of Syria and Lebanon, if you're familiar with the Middle East, okay? So Israel's right there. Lebanon's up here, and Syria's right next to it. They're just north of Israel and kind of, kind of wrap around a little bit. And Hermon is the divide Mount Hermon, and this, this range of mountains is a, an area that covers about a thousand kilometers, square kilometers, and it divides Lebanon and Syria, and there's a part of it that comes down into the Golan Heights, and so there's about a small piece of it that's actually in Israel. It's Israel-occupied. As a matter of fact, the highest peak in Israel is about 7,300 feet, and it's part of this mountain range of Mount Hermon. There's the only ski resort in Israel is the Mount Hermon Ski Resort. Snow builds up there. As a matter of fact, in, it's even taller. It's over 9,000 feet in Syria, between Syria and Lebanon, Mount Hermon is. And it is a huge geographical feature there in that area because it almost constantly has snow on it or moisture that falls on it, and it comes off of that mountain down into the Jordan River, down through the Sea of Galilee. Much of the water supply, much of the life that is experienced there in Israel comes off of Mount Hermon. When the Lord was talking about this, he knew exactly what he was doing. He said, here I've commanded the blessing, life. Life. Forevermore. I said, all right, Lord, so what's the deal with Mount Hermon? Why did you put this in this very short chapter, the things that you could have put in here, why did you put Mount Hermon? And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, because in order to live in unity, you're going to have to have a different perspective. You're going to have to get up higher and see differently. You're going to have to look at life from a higher perspective. Okay, Lord, what is that perspective? I just ask you, by the way, when I'm talking to you, hopefully you're catching on how my conversations with the Lord goes. When he tells me something, when he prompts me with something I don't understand, I ask him another question. Okay? You can do this. Paul's right. He doesn't just do it for me. And he doesn't just do it for Paul. He does it for all of us. If we're willing to listen. All right, Lord, I'm reading through this passage. Mount Hermon's in here. I don't know why Mount Hermon's in here. Why is Mount Hermon in here? And he, he gives me a thought. And I start looking at it. And then he, and he gives more direction on it. And then I said, Lord, but I don't understand this. And so I ask another question. So I asked him, I said, Lord, what's the higher perspective that you want us to have about unity in this? And immediately he said, Genesis 50, verse 20. You see, I have told you for years, and I believe this, it's true, that in order to walk in unity with people, you must, you must give people the benefit of the doubt. Do you know what we tend to do with people? We tend to judge their heart and their motives without knowing what it is. Somebody, they do something based on their action, we judge their heart. But we don't know. 
All we know is what they did. I don't know why they did it, what their motive or intent was. And so I've shared with you often, I share it with you again, in order to walk in unity with people, you must separate their actions from making a judgment about their heart. Because I don't know their motive. Only God knows the heart. And so what do I do? What do I do for you? I give you the benefit of the doubt. Until you tell me otherwise, or I see otherwise, and so, until there's, there's evidence of it, I give you the benefit of the doubt. And yet, it's so easy to jump to a conclusion. You see certain action, and then you jump to a conclusion and think, they're doing this because of this and this, and we write a whole scenario. They did this, I bet they're thinking this, and they did that, and they said this, so that means they think this. And we write a whole scenario, don't we? Don't we? Am I the only one? Come on. No, we, we make this whole scenario in our mind. Of, and all of a sudden, I'm angry with somebody for something they haven't even done yet. But I think they will do it, so I'm protecting myself before they do it. I put my guard up. I've already determined what's in their heart, even though I don't know. If you're going to walk in unity with people, you must give people the benefit of the doubt. You must. You cannot judge their motives when you don't know what their motives are. You can see their actions. That's a factual thing. But you can't judge their motive because you don't know. So I begin to ask questions to try to find out what's in the heart. How many times, I mean, and I'm going to ask for a show of hands on this. How many times have you been mad at someone and then you actually sat down and talked to them and listened and they talked to you and then you realize, oh, I didn't understand that at all. That's totally different than what I thought. How many times has that happened in your life? Look, all over the place, right? Why did we get mad to start with? Because we judged something we didn't understand. We didn't ask questions. We weren't open to give them the benefit of the doubt until we found out. People will come to me at some times and they'll tell me something about someone else and they'll say, I think, I say, wait a second, have you talked to them? First of all, that's scriptural. You go talk to them. I don't need to go talk to them. You go talk to them. And if they won't talk to you, then you come tell me or someone else and we'll see if we can help you resolve all this. But don't judge their motive until you've had a conversation. And by the way, conversation means you have to listen, okay? You can't just talk, you have to listen. You have to ask them a question and let them respond to it. Now, with all of that said, though, I realize that there are going to be times that people intentionally want to hurt us. They really do. Their intent is to hurt. It's to harm. So what's the higher plane of Genesis 50, verse 20? Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You were trying to hurt me. How many of you know that there are people in your life who purposely tried to hurt you? It's quite a few. I can raise my hand with you. They meant it for evil. God meant it for your good. You say, I don't believe that. I know. I can't accept that. I know. That isn't right. That's not fair. I know. I know. Believe me, I know. I've said those very things to the Lord. And so I go back to point two. I submit myself to the control of His Spirit, which means I submit the right to think the way I want to think when He tells me something different. You say, Troy, you do not know my story. You don't know what's done to me. I don't. And I'm sure if you told me, I'd be just as mad at that person as you are. I'm sure I would. I'd probably be, I'd probably be outraged. I'd want to go hurt them. Because that's, that's who we are. But the view from Mount Hermon 
The view from God's Word says, even when they meant it for evil, God can work it for my good. The times that I have been desperately hurt in my life, the only reason I can stand before you today in any level of freedom and any level of joy is because God would bring me to the place and say, you've got to believe that even if they were trying to hurt you, I'm not. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm doing something bigger in you than you can imagine. And you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I'd like to lead you this morning. If the Holy Spirit's drawing you, if He's speaking, then I'd like to lead you three places. Maybe you've never been there, maybe you've gone before, but you're going to revisit it this morning. The first one is this, you've got to believe that true unity can be experienced by everyone who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. You can experience the unity that, that God talks about in Psalm 133. That, that good and pleasant, that, that blessing that's commanded, life evermore, life and for all eternity. But you've got to believe that it's yours. It's available. It's available to you and me. This was a struggle for me for a while to believe it. But you've got to believe what God says. It's yours. As a believer, as the, with God dwelling in you, you can have it. You can even have it if the other person doesn't. The second thing this morning is, would you be able to tell the Holy Spirit, I surrender to your control. And I will, by, by your grace, I will surrender to your control. Each day. And the first step of surrendering that control is the third one. Lord, I'm willing to see life differently, to see it from your, from your perspective. I'm willing for you to change the way I see and the way I think. I want the view from Mount Hermon. I want the view from up high. Lord, I'm willing to believe what Genesis 50 says when Joseph told his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's not the end of the verse, by the way. It goes on to say that he might save many people alive. That's always God's goal. I'm going to do something supernatural through your pain that will bring salvation to many. I don't know about you, but that gives purpose to my pain. That gives purpose to my hurt. God, if you could take what's happened in my life, the painful, hurtful things, that you could change my heart and then on top of that, bring salvation to others. Sign me up. I'm ready.
Lord, all over this room. I believe this was your message for us today. That you want to take us places we haven't experienced yet. To experience unity and a blessing that we've not tasted up to this point. And that it would multiply. It would spread. It's gravitational, Lord. It just keeps flowing down and out. Holy Spirit, would you minister? Would you, you are the comforter. Would you comfort right now? Because I know that in certain hearts here this morning, they're thinking about this, and there's so much pain attached to it, and so much anguish. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you comfort them? Would you speak? Would you do what Jesus sent you to do? Father, pour out your grace so that we're able to respond. And would you be faithful to remind us later today and tonight and tomorrow and throughout this week and every day, would you remind us of this? That this is how you've called us to live and it's a great way to live. I'm going to close my prayer in just a moment. But when we dismiss here, we always have prayer partners at the front to be able to pray with you about anything that God's doing in your life. We, it's a privilege to be able to do that. So when we dismiss you, just come on down. We'd be happy to pray with you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what, you, what you've done in Olivia's life while she's been in Africa. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in ours. We don't have to go anywhere. You'll do it right here. Thank you for that. We give you praise. Lord, would you work by your spirit? Do a change in our heart that allows us to quickly give people the benefit of the doubt. To not prejudge them. To not try to declare the motive of their heart when we do not know. Lord, help us because we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Help us, Lord. Help us. And Lord, would you do it most in our families with those closest to us? Because often that's where the greatest damage takes place. Lord, thank you. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for moving among us and in us. We praise you. And we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.